the whole fleet of them. Look on the ASA. My gosh. They're all going against the wind. It was basically a cube with inside of sphere where the points of the cube uh, were touching the outside of the sphere. So this isn't anything that just is limited to the United States. It's a worldwide phenomenon. Hi everyone and welcome back to the third show featuring fallout from the New York Times article that broke around a couple of weeks ago now, uh, obviously written by Leslie Keane and Ralph Blumenthal, uh, had a bit of a breaking news podcast, followed that up with an interview with Joe Murgia who had talked and tweeted and written extensively about the subject, no doubt we'll get to, but I think the one of the main players that came out of this whole scenario has been the man I've got on the line with me now. Project Unity on YouTube uh, is, a, is a big channel, which is growing and growing in subscribers. And Jay from Project Unity was, well, I'm going to say lucky, but I'll find out in this this episode, uh, managed to secure pretty much one of the only interviews with Leslie Keane and Ralph Blumenthal as soon as the article broke, uh, which I want to talk to him about on this show. So Jay from Project Unity, how are you doing, mate? I'm doing grand. It's a pleasure to be here, mate. Thanks. Awesome. Very nice to talk to you as well. So, Jay, it's been a crazy couple of weeks for you, I take it, yeah? Yeah, it's been pretty wild, like way, way crazier than I really ever expected things to be, but it's been it's been definitely pretty interesting. So I'm going to get to the good stuff, uh, talking about the, the interview, how that came about, and then some of the fallout from it as well. But I've had a lot of interest since I said I was going to be speaking to you, which has been great, and loads of people asking about the roots of Project Unity as a site and what it's all about. So do you want to tell me a little bit about Project Unity Roots? Uh, who's involved? Is it just yourself? Are there more people? Uh, and why it was started in the first place? Yeah, for sure. So in terms of who's involved, it is just me, other than the colleagues I've now kind of picked up along the way. Um, the YouTube channel is just run by me and the Twitter and everything like that. So Project Unity's always been a one-man show. Um, <clears throat> I started it, man, maybe uh, just a little over... A year, a year, maybe two years ago. Uh, I, I want to say a year ago, to be honest. It really hasn't been that long at all. Um, but things have happened so quickly that it's all become a bit of a blur. But I started it off. Um, I didn't have an interest really in UFOs. Uh, I'm 25 now, and I started becoming interested in it maybe in terms of the subject three years ago. Um, so before then, I was open to these things. I've always been an open-minded person, but I was not actually rigorously researching or investigating these types of things. I was just like, well, you know, it's a very big universe, pretty sure life out there exists. And, um, you know, I've seen a few documentaries. I'm pretty sure stuff has visited us before. So that was kind of my opinion uh, until a few years ago when things started to heat up in the mainstream media and I started to pay attention to things. And to cut a long story short, one of the main catalysts, and even though it might be a bit controversial for some, it is still the main catalyst for me kind of starting on this journey, was a friend of mine, my best friend, introduced me to the documentary Unacknowledged by Stephen Greer. So we watched that on Netflix, and that was my first kind of deep dive into like a very rigorous uh, series of testimonies by pilots and Navy officials and military officials at different levels and government, etc., and so that really solidified the idea that, okay, this is pretty legitimate and, you know, that I need to really look into this. This is really interesting. And um, 
it got into the CE5 consciousness contact element of it near the end. And funnily enough, just before I'd been kind of interested in the UFO subject, I'd been starting to dive a little deeper into studies about consciousness and quantum mechanics and reading quite a few different books on different subjects, including um, three books that were actually really helpful for me called Conversations with God uh, by an author called Neil Donald Walsh. And I'd really recommend reading them. I'm not going to preach about them, say they're the kind of books that everyone should read, but they actually had a profound effect on me. Um, and they led me down a, a, ro- a route, sorry, or a road of questioning a lot of things and looking at a lot of different metaphysical uh, ideas and, and kind of linking it to, to science in some ways because of the things I was starting to look at in regards to quantum mechanics. So essentially, again, to cut a very long story short, I created Project Unity because I watched this documentary, found out that there was these groups of people going out and utilizing modes of consciousness and altered states of consciousness via things like meditation and breathing exercises um, to essentially initiate some form of rudimentary contact with something um, that was either, you know, not of this earth or of this earth, but not of the perception we normally see. And that was pretty mind-blowing to me. But because of the things that I'd already been looking into, including things like remote viewing, it was actually, it clicked quite naturally to me because I'd already started incorporating these ideas of a cosmic or universal consciousness of non-local consciousness that isn't just restricted to the body prior to kind of like seeing this uh, documentary that showed that you could also use these ideas to initiate contact. So I actually went out into my garden um, and started trying to initiate contact. And I, I didn't use Stephen Greer's protocols. I don't even know what they fully are. I know he utilizes a puja ceremony and he reads Sanskrit. It's all very, um, you know, uh, ritualistic and, and that's fine. And he has his way of doing it. But I genuinely, <laughs> I've always been uh, like a kind of uh, a jack of all trades, master of none type of person. So, I, you know, I, I take things and I just go for it and I take my own approach. And so I went outside and I stared up at the sky and, you know, I had a smoke and looked up at the stars and just basically really felt like my thoughts were being projected outwards. I know how outlandish it sounds. I, I do understand it sounds totally crazy. Um, but I really did believe that that might be possible, that my thoughts might actually not just be restricted to my brain and my body and they might be projecting outwards and maybe something can pick up on it. And funnily enough, I've had some amazing experiences and uh, one, well, four of which in, included orange orbs of light flying over my skies. And I've done a lot of videos about that. I've done maybe three or four videos and I've mentioned in other things where essentially these were the four experiences that really solidified the fact that this was real to me because um, I don't know how, <clears throat> do you want me to go quite deep into Because I can kind of go into the stories about this because the thing is otherwise i'll go down such a long trailing route with all of this i don't know how condensed you want me to try and keep it do you want me to tell you about these four stories or listen jay you start walking along the path i'll keep you right don't worry just uh, <laughs> just go with it uh, all right man okay so essentially i had like i've had a lot of experiences for ce5 actually i've had a lot of things that you know, uh, some people might d- dismiss as satellites, and I can understand why, because they're white orbs coming across the sky, but in le- in levels of frequency, which you just do not expect. And then one thing that I found very profound, which happened very early on, before I had these very intense four experiences, were these white orbs that would come over, and then there would be an extremely bright flash. It would glow and bright, uh, you know, it sorry it gradually increase in its brightness and then flash and i know about iridium flares i'm fully aware of iridium satellites and the fact that there is such thing as an ir flare or an ir glare 
where you get a um, you know a, a reflection of the sun and a glimpse off of an iridium satellite. Now that happens in very specific times and very specific periods in the sky where people actually you know kind of make a point of referencing when to go outside and catch an iridium flare. So when you've had 15 of these white orbs, not coming over at the same time, but coming over within the space of about 30 minutes, and all of them are flashing three, four, five, six times, like multiply, you start to think, right, well, this does not look like any satellite I've ever seen, any iridium flare, and it's most certainly not a shooting star or anything like that. So that was pretty strange, and, and that really did make me think, okay, there's, some, there's something going on here. But the, um, <clears throat> the first most profound experience which absolutely made me feel like I need to make Project Unity because Project Unity really did start as me trying to convey these messages and these, these, these experiences I've had and, and try and understand it and bring people into a place where they're willing to accept that this is actually maybe a real thing. Um, <clears throat> so the first really insane experience I had was in my garden. Essentially, I was looking up at the stars again. I was just outside clearing my mind and I get into a very basic state of just calm breathing i clear my thoughts i practice meditation as much as i can so it's, it gets easier for you if you practice meditation to just get into that relaxed calm state of mind and you you know you clear your thoughts and i was just looking up at the stars and the first thing i saw was a really bright flash now it was a clear crystal clear sky the first thing i saw was a really bright flash of light just in the middle of a pitch black area of the space so i looked up and was staring at that area and then immediately i saw another bright flash from the exact same spot and then another bright flash, and it wasn't moving. It was just flashing stationary. I couldn't see an object once the, the light dissipated. It was just, again, a dark area, but there was something continually flashing. And then it started doing it every maybe second and a half, two seconds. It was just flash, flash, flash. And so I was I've never seen that before. I've seen things flashing and moving along, but I've never seen something stationary and just continuing to do that. And so I was staring at that, and then it started to move. Like the flash would turn off, and then it would flash just slightly down from where it was before, and then slightly down, and it was it was moving across the sky. And so I kept staring at it, and then it stopped, essentially in alignment. Now, it could be coincidence, but I'm just saying for reference, it stopped in alignment with two other stars to create an equilateral triangle from my point of reference, which I just thought was quite interesting. Um, and then it continued to flash. It stopped where, where these two stars were to create this triangle, and then it just continued to flash. And so I was staring at that for maybe five, six, <clears throat> maybe, a, a, you know, five, six minutes, maybe more. And uh, eventually I, you know, said thank you to whatever it is and was continuing, continuing to look around the sky. And uh, what happened next was something I'll never forget in my entire life. Um, basically, I saw, and again, it's a crystal clear sky. I, I, this, this thing was happening to the right of me. I panned my head over to the left and there was a a, a dark gray cloud just slowly moving across the sky. And for literally for a moment, I thought nothing of it. I, I did a double take. I looked at it, I looked away, and then I looked back. And <clears throat> this has been something that I've always described as this on my videos, and there's, this is the only way I can describe it. The cloud was like staticky. It was like fizzy. It, it, I, I, <laughs> like no cloud you've ever seen, mate. Nothing like a lightning cloud. It was dark, but it was, it was actually fizzling like static it was it was insane and and it, it was drifting across the sky over towards where my house was very high up in the sky and um as it got to my house it stopped it started moving across my garden it did a complete right angle turn this cloud it did a complete right angle turn as it got in alignment with my house and i was basically at the back of my garden staring up at the sky where my house was above my house and this thing was floating from the left hand side to the right hand side as it got above my house, it stopped doing that, did a right angle and started coming up the pathway towards where I was. Still very high up, but coming now in, in alignment with me. 
as it got above my head, Andy, I kid you not, this, this dark cloud, this dark staticky cloud dissipated in a matter of seconds. And within it was a triangle formation of roughly 25 to 30 orange orbs flying silently across the sky. And some of them were weaving in between each other. I could see some of them in the middle were literally weaving in between each other. And it just flew silently across the sky. It, it, and, and, and it was gone. And I've seen these orange orbs on three other occasions. And these have been the most life-changing experiences with, with what we call the phenomena. And, and this has been really the catalyst for me making Project Unity. That, that's awesome. Thanks for sharing that, Jay. And obviously a couple of follow-ups on what you've said there. And I've had a couple of experiences, like, you know, seeing certain things. And I won't go into it because I've, I've talked about it different times on the show as well. And people will get sick of me and they want to hear you, not me on this. So, you know, when you see like a cloud coming along, do you mean like an actual cloud or the way I've imag- imagined that? Because you've described it so well. In my head, I've got almost like... I can see the sky, but it's cloaked almost as if something's moving, but, you know, under like an invisibility cloak or well, something like that. Well, well that's or the be, thing that was... Talking proper, almost cl- proper cloud. Well, that's, it, there was no discernible object inside it. It literally, from what I can remember, because it was, it, remember, it was, it was pitch black apart from the night sky. So it was an outline of a cloud, but that's what it was. It was a cloud. It looked like a dark, it almost looked like a storm cloud. It was a smallish one, not a gigantic one, but it was, it was... It was, you know, I don't know, based on distance from me to the ground, I wouldn't really be able to know how big it was, but it was a relatively normal-sized cloud just rolling across the sky. And I didn't notice, first of all. I looked at it, looked back, and then, and then looked back up at it again. And it, was, it, it wasn't super intense. Like, it wasn't like TV static. It wasn't like it was just like some weird TV staticky cloud, but it, it, was, it was like it was charged. There were all these bits popping around, like, specks of it's so hard to describe but staticky or fizzy is the only way i can really like try and 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 get you to understand it It was like a dark stormy cloud that was not only dark and and stormy but it was it was fizzly and staticky and and shimmering in a in a way but the thing is it literally turned from a cloud to nothing it just went and inside it was this was this triangle was this triangle of orange orbs so what i can only assume from that that it was some form of generated cloaking device that mimics the form of a cloud and i know how outlandish that sounds but that's the only thing i can understand from that no but i mean if, if you're if you're some kind of being that's going to be above the earth or some kind of entity looking to hide yourself then especially in the dark of night why not a cloud i mean yeah. people like you and me and people that listen to this show people that watch your youtube channel are probably the types that when they're walking out and about at night your head's done nothing but looking up and looking at the stars in the sky most people don't do that most people don't want to look so at a glance any kind of static static cloud or black triangle or any kind of craft just doesn't get seen because people aren't looking because you're not i totally agree i completely agree i think i think that you know there is obviously there is an element of a contact initiation I would believe happening just based on the repeated contacts I've had with these orbs, which hasn't happened since. It's been months and months and months and months since they since the last time I saw them. And I'd love to see them again. But at the same time, like it, it seemed like they were genuinely utilizing some form of technology that yeah, they would use in all sorts of different, you know, environments to just basically disguise themselves. I mean, if I like you said, if I wasn't looking for something and I looked up at that, I'd have just been like, ah, oh, cloud and look back down. Like I wouldn't have done the double take. But because I was looking for something, I suppose I just looked back up and, and 
I realized within moments that is not a normal cloud. There's something absolutely weird going on. And when it took a right angle, I, I was scared, mate. I didn't know what happened. I, you know, it, when it suddenly just, because it, it was just drifting like a normal cloud. It, I was just watching it, but I was very confused by the texture, by the, by the static. I was, I, I, I'd never seen anything like it. But then when it suddenly, the moment it got in alignment with my house, moved in a right angle i was just like holy shit and and then when it dissipated into a triangle mate, my, my jaw was on the floor my mouth was just wide open i couldn't believe it and i'm pretty sure i actually cried so listen jay so that, that's some incredible experiences you've described there okay and i don't doubt for a second you've seen what you've seen what to you is ce5 um, well, look, I mean, the thing is with, with CE5 is in the actual term, it's got a bit of a buzzword to it. It's got a bit of a stigma to it. Um, I, I personally think that Stephen Greer has actually done a lot and contributed a huge amount to the field. And I, I don't have any particular issues with him, but there are a lot of people and he draws a lot of flack and there are a lot of people that will immediately associate it only with Stephen Greer. And I, I would like people to remember that he, you know, he is, he's basically, and again, I applaud his work, but he has popularized a, a phenomena that is, I believe, natural and inherent to each human being and can be conducted in a multitude of ways. And I guess like, if I can ramble on for a minute in order to like understand, at least in my opinion, how something such as C5 can work and C5, you know, like I said, has got this stigma to it and maybe we need a new term. But we're talking about a completely new paradigm of communication for the modern human, albeit, in my opinion, extremely an, an, an extremely ancient modality, one that I have no doubt we utilized on a far larger scale when we were of a more shamanic nature on a whole as a species. Nevertheless, we are, in my opinion, talking about natural abilities, as I said, inherent to each human. And the only difference maker between each of us as individuals is how easily we can access these mental tools, because what's required to some extent is a form of self-realization because you see like C5 is more about realization of the self than it is about contacting so-called extraterrestrials, the ability to reach out into the universal grid and initiate a form of contact. The prerequisite for successful contact is self-awareness and an ability to shift your awareness even subtly, much like an old school radio. So I think one way to understand this universal aspect of consciousness, right, is to consider the particle and wave function of a photon. Um, so we've observed that a photon can be a particle and a wave, and this function is dependent upon some form of observation. Now, if you consider this, a photon, when it is acting as a particle, is acting as a singular reference point. Its, its energy is focalized into a specific area, and so it, it can be perceived as a, as a separate to the rest of its surrounding environment. It can be measured. But when a photon has, an, has the other function, a photon can be a wave, a wave of energy that spreads out and becomes essentially non-local. Its reference point has expanded beyond a singular expression, it's no longer, it no longer appears to be separate from the environment. It seems to have melded into it, so to speak, as a wave of potential energy waiting to become physical once again and subsequently focalized into a specific point of reference. So we can extrapolate the understanding of a photon dual functionality and place the same principles upon a model of consciousness, which operates within local and non-local format as its dual functionality. So much like a photon, when you are operating within a local perception, you are perceiving the self and the surrounding environment and are therefore focalized, much like the photon particle, into a specific area of reference. And this is the normal waking awareness we all experience. And it's required in order for you to have an understanding of self that draws information from the apparent differences in its environment and discerns meaning from them. But much like the photon acting as a wave, a human experiencing non-local consciousness would be experiencing an expanded state of awareness wherein the individual's perception 
has been <clears throat> expanded beyond the sense of self that is localized to a specific area of time and space. It's instead become infinitely expanded like the photon wave. And it is at this moment in which your coherence is non-local, um, you know, or in wave function mode, if you want to call it that, that you can begin to essentially reverberate your thoughts, your feelings out into the universal grid and initiate forms of contact. I believe consciousness is the underlying substrate that gives rise to physical to the physical universe. And therefore, if you, if you can utilize consciousness modalities of, of communication, you're able to subvert the distances between time and space. If you if you zoom into your body at a high enough magnification, it will look exactly like the space above our heads. And this is extremely telling. This is a real as above, so below moment, in my opinion, because this, think of it like this. If, if consciousness is a singularity, <clears throat> and there really is only one awareness that has been individuated in what I can only assume is an infinite amount of forms throughout the multiverse, if this is accurate, then you can quite easily understand how CE5 and, and other ESP modes work. Because if the universal mind is a singularity, then just like the information exchange that takes place across the, relatively speaking, unfathomable distances between each atom in your body in order to formulate your perceptions, your perception can transfer and receive information between each point in the universe because these two things are exactly the same, except one is expressed on the micro scale with the human body's interconnecting parts, which are, again, relatively speaking, floating in space that reflects the one above us in terms of the distance between the atoms in our body. And yet somehow they can still interact with one another and exchange information in order to formulate an individual's perception of self. And the other is expressed on the macro scale, the universe with the cosmic mind. So each point of the universe is connected in the exact same way that your body <clears throat> is connected in order for information to pass. It's simply being expressed from our perspective on a much larger scale when you observe the universe. So your consciousness interacts with each point in space and time in the exact same fashion as it interacts with, in my opinion, and gives rise to every single particle in your body. You have your human mind and your perception of self, and you have your cosmic mind and the perception of infinity. It is merely a case of training yourself to enter these states, and this can be done most efficiently through daily practice of basic meditation. So just to quickly cap off, CE5 works because all points in space and time are connected and can communicate with each other, just like all, all points in your body are connected and communicate with each other. So, I mean, you know, do you imagine your inward self being a reflection of the universe to be a coincidence? Because I assure you it's not. We are the universe being expressed in what is called the human body. The human body is the vehicle of experience in which your universal awareness resides within momentarily in order to navigate through the experience called life. And I think that the beings you interact with via CE5 understand these concepts to a degree I could not begin to fathom. Everything I've experienced thus far has precipitated a level of awakening within my awareness. And due to this, I cannot imagine that these beings are interacting with me and others for any other reason than to do exactly that, wake people up to the ultimate truth about this reality and our role within it. Now, Jay, um, what school did you go to? Because the, your use of language is incredible, and that's coming from someone who's Scottish. So uh, <laughs> I almost broke out the, th the thesaurus there for a second and started having a look. But no, I, I think I kept up with you, and obviously you explain it very eloquently as well. So Normal school, didn't have any crazy training, dropped out of university. So listen, I mean, obviously it's an impressive use of language as well. And just someone, when I'm trying to think of things, I always try and use analogies. And when you talk about um, photons, photo, protons, you said, sorry, photons? Photons, photons. photons. Yeah. Yeah. And 
in two different states is it almost like you know you've got a big ocean and if you take a a, a small point in that ocean out and turn it into ice then that ice goes around as a different exactly thing. you can drop it back into the ocean and it just goes back to being part of Boom. that again that's an even better way to put it that's an even simpler and, and easier to understand way to way to put it yeah but you know if you separate a small amount of it it's still the ocean it's just been made into a certain area and and eventually it returns back to where it came it's something physical. It's experiencing a different right. you know, place. Take it around. Take that piece of ice around the, the world on a boat. Let it experience a nice cruise at this time of year. <laughs> take it back. Drop it in another part of the ocean. And it just goes back to yeah. one again until yeah. the next ice age comes Ex- along. Exactly. But but the but the point as well is that as a human with the complex mind, kind of body, brain, basically we're like a, a biological quantum computer, and we're our brain can decode the frequencies of the universe. In my opinion, I know that sounds like really like woo woo, but I don't, I'm not an actual scientist, so I can't give the real, you know, this is just more of an intuitive grasp and something based on some experiences as well. But, it, you know, it seems to me that we can connect to that ocean, as you were saying, you know, as that little piece of ice, we can still connect back to that ocean. We don't have to wait until we melt or die. We, we can do that through modes of, uh, of, of frequency change, which happen through meditation. You know, this is what, this is why monks in the Himalayas eating bowls of rice with robes, not having any internet connection, have said things thousands of years ago that now our quantum physicists are starting to postulate our, the realities of our fundamental you know, universe. And so that, that's telling, surely, that there is some form of index of information available to us outside of our normal perception, and you can access that. And I think that one of the key modes of accessing that is meditation. It's inherent, and it's an, it's an available tool to everyone. It's an incredible concept and it's something I've, I've never really tried and as I've mentioned before, I would like to at some point. But how does a novice then, like me, go about trying CE5? What would you suggest to someone like myself who decides, do you know what, tonight after I'm finished recording my UFO podcast like everyone does, uh, I'm going to head outside and I'm going to try some CE5. What's, what's my first steps? Well, I think, um, <clears throat> like I said when I was, when I was talking about it, is CE5 really to me at least is is more about your own self-awareness it's more about realizing something that's an ability that's an inherent state within yourself and then from that point using your new realization to you know initiate a form of contact and so what i would suggest i suppose to someone who's a complete novice if you don't already believe that there is such thing as a universal consciousness or at least to some extent, uh, you know, that consciousness can f- uh, operate within a non-local format uh, outside of the body. Do your homework, you know, do that first, find out about things, look into remote viewing. You know, at the end of the day, the CIA has got millions of documents about remote viewing. You can check out that. That's a very basic form of the same type of idea that you're projecting your consciousness. The moment you can project your consciousness outside of your body, you know, that's it. That's you know, all, all of the other things like contacting other beings become an obvious uh, yes because because you, there's an information exchange happening already. You've left your body and you can see a Russian missile silo in the USSR and report back to the CIA what you've seen. And when they send drones over and take photos of it, and it's, it's exactly what the person who was the remote viewer said it would be, you can essentially it's essentially that's quantum entanglement that's 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 particles of information exchanging between distances they shouldn't be able to do normally if we if we you know look at what's happening in in our waking reality but we're talking about quantum phenomena we're talking about stuff of the 
the fundamental level of reality and the building blocks deep, deep down where stuff behaves very strangely and can appear in two places at once and doesn't behave anything like the reality we live in. And so I would say that, you know, first of all, you need to start learning about these concepts and expanding your mind to allow these concepts in. Because if you're extremely skeptical, you've got to understand that you're I believe at least you're putting out the vibration. Whatever you're interacting with is already there. They're already at that level of realization that you need to get to. You're the one taking that step up and then they're recognizing that you're there and coming to interact with you. That's at least my perspective on this. So you do need to be coming from a place of, you know, <clears throat> to some extent, I, I, I suppose it's, a, it's faith, but it's not really because, you know, there is a lot of science behind this that has been done and there is a lot of rigorous study into the, into the non-local nature of consciousness. So, Really, first, you want to educate yourself on these concepts and you want to understand these concepts and speak, you know, listen, listen to people like Russell Targ, Dr. Hal Puthoff, the people that founded the SRI CIA remote viewing, you know, initiative and people that have actually done serious work on this and, and educate yourself on these concepts. And at that point, go outside and also practice meditation, you know, even if, even if it's not every day. I don't practice every day. And I think one of the reasons why I felt so compelled to speak about this subject is because I'm not a master at anything. I'm not a yogi. I'm not a meditation teacher. I haven't had any experience in anything of that, of that nature. And I've had these contacts. So I feel like everyone should be able to do this. <clears throat> it just requires, you know, maybe a little leap into some very out there science, which is there and available to you. Um, but you know, go outside. Once, you, once you've integrated this knowledge, go outside, clear your mind, just breathe, you know, just seriously, just look up at space and look up at the stars and just breathe and relax and, and be grateful for where you are. And at the end of the day, I do think that this, um, this concept leaks into the law of attraction. And so you don't want to be out there going dark spirits come to me like you know that's not what you're looking for here you're not looking to go yeah. down that kind of route even if I, I you know i don't know if that kind of stuff exists i just don't want to be trying to bring that in so you don't want to be doing that you want to come from a place of love you want to come from a place of gratitude of being alive you want to come from you know a a, a place where you feel you want to be open and diplomatic and, and reach out to something to initiate some form of communication even if it is just a to say hello, even if you just, you know, you don't, you don't have to be acting like you're going to be some sort of universal ambassador. But if you just want to essentially clear your mind first, focus on your breathing, get yourself into a calm state. And from that point, start very coherently thinking about what you want to say and, and saying it in your head, you know, and you can say it out loud. It depends on where you are. I have neighbors on each side of me. So I actually just, you know, think thoughts in my head, but you think thoughts in your head the same way that you would be saying things out loud and you imagine that you are saying it out loud to the universe and you just look up. And so you, you know, construct in whatever way suits you how you would want to do that. So, uh, you know, a very quick example, and some people might laugh, but I don't really care. Um, you know, I'd be looking up at the stars and just be like, I just want to ask anything that's out there that's operating on a level of, of love and understanding of universal consciousness and, and that's here to try and assist us in some way of, you know, realizing that, me and, and acknowledge your presence and you know i'll acknowledge mine you know I, I invite you to come over and be here with me it's something like that you know it's it's not you know you're not just sitting there and going like right come on lads let's let's see you turn your lights on you know it's, it's not like that it does come from a deep level of something that's more i, I suppose spiritual so for some people that'll be an immediate put off but i believe that there is a 
a necessary symbiosis, a necessary inter interweaving of physics and metaphysics or science and spirituality. I think that needs needs to be the case. And consciousness is the forefront of study. It is going to be the forefront of study. So I would advise people to educate themselves on these concepts. You don't have to go outside and initiate this contact, but I do think that if you go down the route of trying to do that, you will go down the route of studying meditation. You'll go down the route of studying how to better yourself mentally. And that's a really good thing either way. Even if you don't end up doing the reaching out and trying to communicate, you're still trying to get a better control of your mind, which is so important in this day and age. Listen, Jay, something you said just, just before that you, you don't feel you're a master of anything. And do you know what? You don't have a Netflix documentary yourself yet. Uh, you've got your YouTube <laughs> channel that you started yourself. And you know what? I mean, it's, comparatively small to some you've got four and a half thousand subscribers which is incredible but that's that's growing and will keep growing compared to someone like a Stephen Greer who has got millions and I'm going to make a point here okay but I think the way you speak the way you are as a person people are drawn to you and it comes across very honest and genuine and I think that that helps that you're just a guy who's putting out there your own thoughts your own feelings your understanding your own experiences and that means a lot to a lot of people Stephen Greer is someone who also started in a similar vein, albeit a bit of a military background given his previous work and his experiences and some of the people that he knew. Now, I don't know if you saw last week, but Stephen Greer in the Washington Examiner had a bit of an expose done on him. Now, it's not obviously 100%, but basically they're claiming Stephen Greer who charges $2,500 to $3,500 for a CE5 session. Um potentially has set it up so there was some students basically flying light aircraft off the coast and simulated a contact. Now, how, how do you feel as someone who is coming on with an honest message, really humble, just wanting to share your experiences, and then you hear something like that happening? Because like you said, he didn't invent close encounters of the fifth kind. He didn't invent this type of contact. You know, you look at... Um, Native Americans who still to this day seem to have that spiritual attachment you talked about that we seem to right, have lost right. and maybe Western culture and that's something I know Tom DeLong and TTSA have got a documentary coming out on uh, a particular tribe and they're going to talk about that sort of stuff so there's definitely something along that path. Do you think Stephen Greer's franchising if I want to call it that of CE5 is damaging that movement and in particularly articles like that in the Washington Examiner? Well, look, Andy, I've, I've read the article I ha I, and I'm familiar with the video. I know which video it is. And to be honest, I haven't looked at it in enough detail to, to give like a full opinion on whether or not I think it's fake. I mean, I, you know, personally, I, I would be surprised if it turned out to be two planes. But again, I haven't done the deep, the deep research on that. But Stephen Greer, um, I, if, if anyone goes back in time and looks at him starting off when he was speaking on things like, uh, I think it was Larry King with, um, oh, Oh gosh, what's the guy that's passed away now? Absolute legend. I can't believe I've just forgotten his name. Art Bell? With no, with the with the mustache. <laughs> physicist. He's a quantum physicist. Oh damn it. I've forgotten. All right, never mind. You can scrub this bit out, maybe. <laughs> no, do you know what? This is the good stuff when people see we make make mistakes and forget stuff. I like yeah, to no, leave I like you to leave this kind of stuff in. It's honest. It. Don't scrub it. We'll be honest and we will we'll let the mistakes happen. Uh, Stanton Freeman, there we go. There we go. Stanton Freeman. So he was on on. I think it was Larry King, Stan Freeman, way back in the day. And, um, you know, he's, 
he he's obviously in this for for passion. He obviously started this because he genuinely he, he had some experiences and he, he he really wanted to form this. And he's also been you know phenomenal in in networking and connecting with assets within the U.S. government and uh, different people who have, who have come out and spoken. And the two thousand and one uh, disclosure testimonies uh, from the New York uh, from not, not the New York the uh, National Press Conference were were just profound, you know. And it really it really would have pushed things forward if if unfortunately obviously nine eleven and did occur not that long afterwards and uh, and took a lot of steam away from things like that. But that was a major expose. You've got to understand more than anything that has occurred right now in terms of mainstream media, that was a major expose coming out of the National Press Conference with dozens and dozens of people who had their military credentials with them, who, you know, who testified to, um, you know, programs and being threatened and all of that. So, uh, you know, he has done a tremendous amount of, um, of, of, of momentum pushing in, in regards to the conversation. He's got an ego. It's pretty obvious. No one can deny that. Like, you know, we've all got ego and I've got an ego. And all, you know, we all do things we regret. But unfortunately, Stephen Greer has got an ego and it's very obvious. And he wants to be one of the people that is, you know, the, the, the flag bearer of, of this type of thing. And, and, you know, this is why I try and say, look, pick and choose what you get from this guy. I know that some of the things that he's had on CE5s are real because I know people that have been on his CE5s who, who are very trustworthy people who, you know, I know, and, and I've seen similar things happen myself with my own eyes. And, I've, you know, so there's a certain level to which I've seen video footage, which I go, well, I've seen that. I've seen that myself. So I know that that is, you know, undoubtedly real. I can hear the reactions of everyone there going, oh my God, look at that. You know, there's a certain level where you go, okay, well, this, this, is, this is legit. The two orange lights, I don't know. Maybe they, maybe they are planes. It would really suck if they were. And, you know, it, it would really damage his credibility because he doesn't need to do that ce5 is real and you know whether or not he was trying to get a more um you know visually shocking thing coming up because a lot of the time at least from my experience apart from the orange orbs which were mind-blowing you know then the very quick very transient experiences of things coming by and flashing that just don't seem like normal things in the sky and really grab your attention but you know i, I again i can't speak on on um, on the legitimacy of that video all I can say is he has done a lot. The people that hate him for no reason just need to get educated. The people that have an issue with him for legitimate reasons, I sympathize with because I do feel like, you know, things like this don't help the, the community. CE5 is already so controversial, which blows my mind because of the amount of study outside of directly initiating contact with beings. You know, let's put that on the shelf for a second. Just non-local consciousness, just the idea that consciousness can interact with things outside of the human body. That's been bloody well proven. And so, you know, that can be put into the checklist of, you know, evidence that's, that's been amassed. And then in the UFO community, we believe in extraterrestrials. We believe in UFOs. And we've had plenty of stories of, you know, credible people who have spoken about some form of conscious connection, some form of telepathy, some, something that was consciousness related. And so I don't think it's so outlandish to extrapolate that data and apply it to essentially remote viewing with communication involved with ETs that we believe already exist that have already given us evidence of using telepathy. Like, you know, it kind of seems like a given that if you eventually get to even just an ounce of the frequency required to communicate on their level, they will pick up on it. They are, you know, obviously so much more advanced than us in technology and in apparently consciousness. And so I think we have to assume that, you know, however they're utilizing 
the form of, of contact to arrive in the sky almost immediately from when you're thinking these thoughts. It's got to have something to do with completely subverting time and space as we know it. They're not using distance. They're not, they're not, they don't have to be restricted by distance. So I'm going to ask before we move on to totally change the, the, the path we're talking along anyway, mm-hmm. uh, regarding the article and your interview and the fallout, what do you think these beings are? Is this the, the zoo approach that there's multiple aspects to this phenomena? Do you think it's one particular entity or race? Are they coming from different planets, different dimensions? W- what do you think is going on? If I can push you for that. Yeah. I, I, you know, I think based on my intuitive beliefs and a little bit of study and a little bit of experience, um, I, I think that almost everything's possible. Mate. I've, my mind's pretty open at this point And, I I would say that there is an interdimensional aspect of this. I, I sometimes feel that that may be the more likely um, contact that occurs through CE5. Um, primarily because I suppose in some ways CE5 is the more spiritual approach to this. It's the more it's the more um, esoteric approach to it, and so. I would say, yeah, I, I, my personal belief is again, you know, no, no proof, just belief. Uh, I would say there are beings that operate and live within and maybe travel through and communicate through levels of reality that we're not in right now. So, you know, just frequencies of reality through the multiverse that, you know, many scientists believe could be the case, many world theory and things like that, you know, that many scientists do believe that we're in a multiverse. And so there's, there's undoubtedly all sorts of threads of reality and beings that inhabit each thread of that reality. And yeah, maybe some of them are advanced enough or, or, or I don't know, wise enough, I'm not sure, to be able to just pierce through the veil and come straight into the physical world and interact with us and you know, it's nothing to them, then I would say, yeah, it's a huge universe, physical universe. And there's, I would say there's no doubt advanced extraterrestrial beings that live on physical planets that operate within the physical universe. And, and, uh, you know, I, I wouldn't be surprised to find out that some, some of them have been visiting us. And, you know, there's also the crypto terrestrial theory of, you know, maybe there's earthbound uh, beings or earthlings that we just haven't known about hidden civilizations, maybe something subterranean i'm not saying um you know the whole inner earth hollow earth theory but maybe there's just something hidden below the oceans or you know deep in the deep in the caverns of some unexplored areas of the world where we haven't been able to find civilization or it's hiding in some weird way that we don't understand so i you know there's just it's all speculation but yeah i would i'm pretty open with it i'm i'm willing to accept that there's probably a lot of different types of interactions going on Listen, every time I watch Avengers now, which my little boy's obsessed with, every time I see Black Panther in Wakanda, for those that are familiar with the movies, I just look and go, yeah, that that, that could be possible. Yeah, 100%. I, I, I could see that. And th- there's something, yeah, I, I, I'm pretty much along the lines of yourself as well. I think there's a lot of aspects to it. 100%. Going to play a quick message now from one of the friends of the show and someone I've started getting to know recently, Ryan Sprague, who's got a new book, Somewhere in the Skies, second edition. And he's got a quick message on that. And then when we come back, I'm going to keep talking to Jay about his interview with Leslie Keane and Ralph Blumenthal. UFOs seem to be invading both our skies and our news outlets like never before. And more people are starting to look up and are wondering who or what might be out there. In 2016, Ryan Sprague introduced the world to countless UFO encounters that had never been made public before. And now, in the second edition of his book, he revisits these events and introduces brand new UFO cases in Somewhere in the Skies, a human approach to the UFO phenomenon. 
How have these events changed the lives of those involved? And what might it tell us about the phenomenon? With in-depth follow-ups, brand new chapters, and detailed testimony from credible witnesses and insight from those in the psychological, academic, and scientific fields, Somewhere in the Skies, a human approach to the UFO phenomenon, weaves together a story of stories, attempting to get to the heart of these mysteries one experience at a time. Available now on Amazon in both paperback and ebook. To learn more, visit somewhereintheskies.com. Okay, folks, coming back from that message, uh, we've still got Jay from Project Unity uh, with us on the show. Listen, Jay, so what a lot of people want to hear is how did you end up scoring an interview with Leslie Keane and Ralph Blumenthal literally minutes almost, it seemed like, after the New York Times article that had been hyped and hyped and hyped finally dropped online? Well, it's a, you know, it's a weird story, but it's a story that I can explain for anyone that's been wondering. I have, I've covered it a couple of times on my channel now, but basically um, what happened was to rewind a little bit further back than the New York Times story at all, I got connected to Richard Dolan and Grant Cameron, um, James Rigney, Michael Hall. So basically like kind of like the core people around the distribution of the leaked Admiral Wilson documents. The reason I got in touch with them was because I made a promo video for a, um, a production that I'm still working on and is still very much in the works and has become even more detailed and has got so much more to be said within it. Um, a production regarding the Admiral Wilson documents, I wanted to make uh, you know, something that visualized the whole scenario, including the notes and everything, you know, kind of detail within them in some way, you know, as much as I could as a one-man show. Because um, I've got some editing skills and, you know, if I sit down and put my mind to it, I can put things together quite nicely. So I made this little promo, which is kind of like a film trailer, got picked up by, I believe, James Rigney or a colleague of James Rigney who referred it to him. And he referred it to Richard, Richard referred it to Grant, blah, 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 bounced around. I got in contact with all these people. Um, and they started talking to me about what I was planning on doing. And at that point, I had a phone call with Richard and he told me that I had, we had a mutual friend in common. And uh, I was like, oh, okay, well, I don't actually know who that is. And he was like, he, you know, gave me their name. And I said, oh, I still don't recognize them. Um, he gave me their email and we started messaging back and forth. And I don't know how much you know about my channel, but that will be Mr. X. So uh, the people that um, know my channel and have seen the videos of Mr. X, this is the person, um, you know, Richard gave me his email. We got talking and then I had him on the channel. So we started doing videos. Me and Mr. X started putting out all these videos about EVOs and self-organizing plasmas and all these, you know, really intense physics concepts. And people were really interested in, you know, oh, what, who's this guy? What's he talking about? blah, blah, blah. Um, you know, so we started putting out a lot of content. At the same time, we were talking back and forth about the Admiral Wilson documents. And I realized that this guy had, I mean, an, an encyclopedic knowledge on the, I mean, he has any way on the UFO history and every, pretty much like anything worth knowing in the UFO history that could be real, he, he knows about. But with the Admiral Wilson documents, he, he just knew it all. And he, he knew names and People that I just had no idea were connected to it. When I first read the documents, when I first read the Eric Davis documents, um, you know, before that, I had done research on remote viewing. I'd done research on SRI. I heard of Eric Davis. I'd heard of Hal Putoff. I'd heard of Edgar Mitchell from the Noetic Sciences and, and you know, Quantrek International. And I'd spoken to um, one of the first interviews I did, which never aired because I lost it. And I'm going to redo it. Is with Rebecca Hardcastle, who was um, who was the director of the Institute for Exoconsciousness. And um, she, she was uh, Edgar Mitchell's kind of like uh, right-hand person in Washington with intelligence briefings on, on this kind of subject. But basically, 
going off on a tangent there. Um, I put out the breakdown of, regarding the Admiral Wilson documents with Mr. X because I realized that Mr. X just had such a profound background knowledge on, on this that we had to get something out. And before this point, I think not that long before, because I think this was what kind of encouraged me and Mr. X to make this, my friend and colleague um, and lawyer to Grant Cameron and a few people involved with the Nimitz, Michael Hall, Michael J. Hall, who's, uh, Michael W. Hall, sorry, not J. Hall, um, uh, he is uh, also known as the paranormal lawyer. And uh, he got basically a phone call with Ralph Blumenthal uh, early in May, I want to say. I think, it was, I think it was May. And um, this was actually live streamed. I was lucky enough to jump on the live stream because I have Michael on my Facebook and it pops up whenever he's doing a live stream, which he does periodically on Facebook. And so it popped up with a little notification. And I'll be honest, I don't click on them every time. This time I was just like, oh, I'll see what's going on. Clicked on his little notification, popped up with Michael Hall in his little live stream talking. And he was talking with Ralph Blumenthal from the New York Times. And this was about their interest in the Admiral Wilson documents. And at that point, they were pursuing the story. And they were very interested in speaking with Michael because obviously he was representing Grant Cameron, who first got the, uh, the um, documents from, I think, James Rigney sent them to him. Obviously, you know, James Rigney got the documents initially from the anonymous person who uh, retrieve them from Edgar Mitchell's estate, but then they made their way to Grant Cameron and Grant Cameron was holding on to them for quite some time. And so they reached out to Michael Hall. At this point, me and Mr. X, see, it's a long story, but it all connects the dots. You know, me, uh, me and Mr. X made this breakdown, this three hour and 17 minute breakdown of the, uh, uh, the Admiral Wilson leaks called the ultimate breakdown of the Admiral Wilson leaks, which you can find on my, on my channel of Project Unity. And within 24 hours of making that video, we were contacted by Ralph Boomerthal and Leslie Keane. And basically, they outlined the fact that they were trying to pursue a story for the Times. And they, you know, very politely asked if we would consider taking down the uh, video just, you know, very, very shortly, just for a brief period of time to assist in, in them getting the story out. And so, essentially, we talked it over. I know Mr. X and Richard Dolan had a little discussion about it. Me and Mr. X talked about it. And we decided that actually it would be a good idea. And my prerequisite for taking down the video for a, for a short amount of time was that I get the first interview. So I asked them, I said to them, I'll take it down, that's, that's okay. Because at the end of the day, I realized that Project Unity in comparison to the New York Times is a drop in the ocean. My influence is nowhere near. So, you know, it, it would have been, I would not have been happy with myself if I went, no, I'm going to keep my video up. And, you know, you can just do what you want. I, I wouldn't have been happy with myself. So, I, you know, I thought, you know what, this is a, a good chance not only to get the story out, but this is a good opportunity for me. I've got an upcoming platform. These are two very big journalists. Let's just see. And I don't want money. I'm not looking for money. I just want, I just want an opportunity to expand my platform a bit. So I said to them, well, you know, I'll do this if you give me the first interview. Straight away, they said, yeah, you know, they're probably say, probably waiting for me to say, oh, I'll do it for $10,000 or something like that, you know, so it was like, oh, yeah, we'll give you an interview straight away, no problem. But yeah, they gave me an interview. And, and that's how I got it. So I got it just because I was fortunate enough to get involved with certain people who were, you know, doing the Admiral Wilson story. I spoke to an extremely knowledgeable person who did a breakdown with and it got picked up by these NYT journalists. I love that. And someone I listen to and I'm a, a big fan of personally had a very similar story. Well, it ended the same way as well as George Knapp, who very recently on Coast to Coast mm. mentioned how he had also been asked to not break certain aspects of the story before it broke in the New York Times. And same as yourself, he realised, and it's really unselfish, that maybe the greater good here is let the the bigger news outlet take charge and break this. 
as it's going to reach a bigger audience that's going to benefit more people it's going to drop down as well and benefit the rest of us because you know exactly more eyes on it more ears on it you know bigger interest so that that's really good of you to do that as well and i think it's i think that's a really fair ask that you get the first interview with them how did you find them personally to deal with i thought they were really really good to deal with i i didn't um I didn't communicate with Ralph as much as I did with Leslie. Me and Leslie email back back and forth quite a bit. I still email her and, uh, you know, I'll, I'll sometimes get a response back. They're really busy at the moment. And I'm pretty sure that, you know, working on bringing out another story, I wouldn't be surprised if that was, you know, on the horizon. But I, I found them really nice to deal with. And um, obviously with the interview, they, they were really happy with it. They, they felt it was conducted professionally. And um, so, yeah, I would say as it stands I, I i respect ralph and leslie very much and i i would hope that they feel the same about me i think the questioning and the line of questioning you went with was really fair and really honest and i don't think any of it was harsh it was it was what you would expect to be asked um and you didn't sugarcoat anything which i think i, I can appreciate given what i try to do on this podcast as well um I'm going to ask you a question, though, regarding uh, Mr. X. Now, I'm not going to insult your intelligence by asking, you know, who is it? However, how does someone like yourself that's had a background where you've started what you've started from scratch, no military, no celebrity, no big contacts, unless, you know, your father ran MI6, you know, I I, I don't know that. However, I'm, I'm guessing not. How do you get to the level where you've got that kind of mutual friend or is there anything you can kind of tell us about that? Um, well, I mean, obviously he's got a, a much bigger research knowledge than me, but like I said, when Richard Dolan said we had a mutual friend, he told me that this guy had been what, following my channel. He was interested in things that I uploaded. I uploaded a couple of things about the Sapphire project, which Mr. X really likes to talk about. Um, so I think that, you know, piqued his interest. And so I think he was, he was quietly enjoying some of the content from my channel. Um, and then, so when we started speaking, I mean, to be honest, I can't even remember what the first email was, but. Um, it wasn't that long until we got on the phone and, and we're having, you know, back and forth chats about different things, mainly about the Admiral Wilson documents, because that was my focus at the time. But he was, uh, you know, as, as he does, because he's so passionate about these particular topics, he was talking about the physics, the science, the EBOs, the self-organizing plasmas, all these types of things that he likes to go into. And to be honest, mate, a lot of it does go over my head. But I recognized, um, you know, that there was an opportunity here to get some information out from someone that had been doing a lot of research. And you know, he, to be honest, me asking him to be on the channel was a really quick transition. You know, I just, I just uh, shot, shot him an email saying, would you be interested in jumping on talking about the Admiral Wilson documents or talking about physics and EVOs and all this stuff that you, you enjoy researching? And I'm, I'm pretty sure he, he agreed straight away. But, you know, he's, again, I've, and I've stressed this before because people have brought it up and, and asked who he is and why he keeps himself anonymous he's not an insider. He's not a, you know, special access program scientist that's come out. He's, he's, he's just a public person. He's a civilian. Um, you know, he's, he's someone who's been researching this topic from dusk till dawn 24 seven, pretty much every day for years and knows so much. Like he just knows so much. This is his life. Um, you know, this is what he's been doing for a long time. And so, um, I think he's just really happy to talk to people about it. You know, he, he, he doesn't, he lives in a very, in the countryside, lives quite far out. And so he doesn't, I believe, have many people to kind of converse with in his normal physical life who are interested in this topic. So he loves talking to people. He was on the Richard Dolan forum for a long time, um, you know, as a member. And he was, uh, you know, a key member that was speaking back and forth with lots of people. So he's known under pseudonyms throughout the community. He was, he was known. 
And, uh, Miss, and Richard Dolan knows him very well. And Bob McGuire, Science Bob, knows him. James Rigney knows him. Um, to the extent of which they know his name and they've spoken with him and, and they respect him. And um, yeah, I think he's just really keen to talk about these topics. And so he was happy to be given an outlet. Um, I, don't, I don't know if anyone had uh, you know, previously invited him onto YouTube channels before or not, but that was, his, um, you know, that was something that I invited him to do and he was happy to do it. And from there, uh, we developed uh, an idea of what kind of topics were really good to talk about because he's you know, just got such a great uh, background knowledge on different things. So from, yeah, it, it just seemed like a natural, a natural thing that happened. It didn't feel forced or anything like that. And I guess... Um, to some extent, I'm a good communicator. I, I would agree. Uh-huh. So I've got to ask a few follow-ups then. That, that's cool. I like that story. And you know, it's a really honest one as well. And you, you've got your just rewards from it. Um, I, I really you. enjoyed the interview as well. So Joe Murgia, who I interviewed for, this is going to be the third part of my series on this, because this is just my personal interest in the subject, much like you've started your channel and it's grown leaps and bounds. Joe was one of the names, if not the name, who was all over Twitter for what seemed like eternity. Who is really passionate about the subject. He knows a lot. He's really, he can be really overly enthusiastic at times, which we talked about on the interview with him. Um, how do you feel his interactions and hyping of the article impacted things before, when it dropped, and after? Well, look, I'm not, not going to point fingers and name names and go into anything because, yeah, again, and I like Joe. Me and Joe talk back and forth. I'm friends with Joe. I would like to think I'm friends with Joe at least. Um, I see it from both sides, man. I have said this already, but to put it simply, I can sympathize with Leslie and Ralph who were looking to break an extremely sensitive story, one which the plug could always be pulled at any moment for a multitude of reasons. I can understand why, again, for a multitude of reasons, such journalists would want to keep a story such as this tightly under wraps. It's also important to remember that, you know, although we all want recognition, myself included, when we do hard work and we push things out, especially if we're active researchers in the field, and even more so if you've been in the research field for decades, you know, and you're pushing things forward and you're starting to see something happen in the mainstream and you want to see more. Sometimes, however, in my opinion, we do have to realize that our influence can only spread so far outside of the already relatively ostracized UFO community. And so sometimes we need to step back and maybe allow some folks with more influence to push the story forward a bit further, even if it is a slightly less detailed story than one we might tell. Uh, it's still profoundly important, and it pushes forward a furthering in transparency, and it garners the interest of the public. Now, on the flip side, we in the UFO community have struggled, <coughs> sorry, struggled, and some of us for decades, with mockery and scorn for our hard work and our continuing dedication to a profoundly important topic um, that's overlooked by so many people. Um, so I can understand that when information comes out about an upcoming, potentially groundbreaking New York Times article, the first thought is to tell everyone straight away. Um, you know, and I think the th one thing, if I'm being honest, something I think Ralph and Leslie need to maybe realize is that this isn't just research, you know, and I, I don't just see this as research. This is activism more than anything else. And many of us are quite disgruntled by the depth of the ongoing coverage in the mainstream media when many of us know there is a treasure trove of information hiding below the surface. I think mainstream media reporters who are looking to, um, <clears throat> excuse me, report on these stories and who, inter who are interacting with people within the UFO community need to keep in mind that this is not a community that takes the idea of being silent very well and for a good reason too. And so they cannot be surprised to see people leaking out information or speculating online. It's to be expected. And so I would say it's up to both sides not to argue, 
or pick holes in each other, but to instead recognize the importance of both, you know, the UFO community for its depth of knowledge, its vast conglomerate of highly educated and experienced researchers, academics, and experiences. And then to also recognize the impact of mainstream media reporting on even a fraction of the knowledge that the community has amassed. Think about it this way. You know, they could always be not reporting this and then we wouldn't have a global circulation of news regarding UFOs and now even crash retrievals, which is a complete checkpoint, total flag in the ground, new area of discussion in the mainstream. So this is a monumental time period. And it's important, I feel, that when mainstream reporters want to report on this topic, that both sides work together as much as possible. I'm going to ask, you spoke to Leslie and Ralph at length. They, they more or less, without naming him, talked about Joe. It was pretty clear. Do you, you think they approached him like they approached you and asked him to stop? Um, I don't think they did, uh, but that's just my opinion. Um, I, I'm pretty sure they didn't. Uh, the reason why they, they put, put my, you know, asked me to be quiet was because of my breakdown and the level of, you know, the level of detail and uh, potentially actionable intelligence because of names of people that were still alive that could be called in for, to go on record or maybe even to, you know, uh, testify in Congress or the Senate if it got that far. There are people on who Mr. X named who could literally be contacted now, you know, so like, you know, that's, that's actionable intelligence that needs to be kind of put down and 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 uh, put under the radar so they can maybe even contact these people uh, i don't know if uh, i know that i know that joe has his sources i'm pretty sure he wasn't speaking directly with leslie keen and ralph and but i don't know maybe they sent him a warning a warning across the bow um but i wouldn't be able to comment no that's fair and listen it's only fair you I want people to go and check out if they haven't already your YouTube channel, the work you've done into it, and of course your interview. But I would absolutely encourage people to go look at Joe Mergier's four-part mega blog as well. Oh, totally. It, it's, it's four parts, so there's a lot of detail, and it really is like a 23-year-plus journey of research in there. So there's been some incredible bodies of work done. Well, well, this and the a- reason I'm doing this interview with you and why I spoke to Joe is I'm amazed at that level of work. That's not something I could do. I, I consider myself, I suppose I am now an interviewer in this field. And I just like hearing you guys and how you can do that level of work. That's not something I can do. I like sitting and asking the questions so other well, people can hear. So it's, it's incredible that the effort that goes into that. This is, you know, this is <clears throat> something that I'll just quickly say, because, you know, like I said, me and Joe are friends. I back Joe up and, and, and I like Joe. And people, you know, people are very quick to hate on someone when they've done nothing themselves, they've done no work, they've done no research, they're not putting out articles, they're not writing to people, they're not contacting people, they haven't got sources, they haven't tried to get sources, um, and they're sitting there and they're giving their opinion. And it's fine. It's fine to give your opinion, uh, you know, especially if it's an informed opinion. I really value an informed opinion more than any. Um, but I find it aggravating when everyone's like, go Joe, go Joe, this is great. And then immediately, when it's not what people expected it to be, they turn around and, and they hate on him. And to be honest, I, I've, I've seen not that many negative interactions on Joe's Twitter at all. I think he's doing fine. So I think he's bounced back from it and I don't see it being an issue for him in the future. He's still got really credible sources. He puts out really credible information. He talks about good things. Um, you know, and I still I still see him as a, as a colleague in, in the research game. So yeah, I've got no hard feelings on Joe at all. And I just say to the people that are giving him a lot of, a, a lot of flack, just... You know, do something else, man. Like, you know, maybe, maybe put out some articles yourself, maybe do some work. 
Yeah, I, I agree. It's been a good learn for Joe, and we discussed that in depth on our interview. That, and he was really honest about a few things too. So, and people should go and check that out. Obviously, when I spoke to Joe, yeah, because he's a now, good guy. He hasn't got a big head. He hasn't got a big big head. He's a good guy, and he's willing to admit when he's when he's made mistakes, like we all should. Yeah, and he's very enthusiastic, which I love. Which I love speaking yeah. to him about as well. Now, listen. So, on that, just before we get to listener questions, because I'm wary wary of time as well. What's the fallout from that been like for you? Because like I, I remember at one point going on your YouTube or sorry your Twitter channel a couple of times in one day, and each time I went on, you'd another another couple of hundred followers. Yeah, dude, it was <laughs> it was crazy because I mean, like you said, I'm I'm a small channel, and and for a lot of people that haven't been kind of old school subscribers that have kept up with the ongoing step by step connections I've been getting and little talks with people. Like it would have, it would have probably looked like, wait, what? How how has this little channel managed to get this interview? And and I was really worried because, you know, obviously, when when Leslie put it out on her Twitter and when a few other people put it out on their Twitter before it was going before it was going live, normally when I put out a video and it's it's um, a premiering video and it's going on YouTube before it starts, I'll have like maybe you know three or four people waiting, and there was like two hundred and eighty people waiting. And when it was live at its peak, I think there was about 800 people watching it live, which for me is just insane because the max before that was like 25, 30 people. So like that was phenomenal. Um, I was, was I was one of them as well. Yeah, yeah. Nice, bro. Um, and, you know, I was I was worried. I was like, oh, my God, I hope this is good. Like, I hope people aren't going to go, wow, what a waste of an interview time. If it, You know, why couldn't it have been Richard Dolan or someone else? Like, this sucks. But no, every comment was is insane. Like, you know, I really wasn't expecting it to be such an overwhelmingly positive response. And the response was just incredible. And, you know, I put out some tweets and they were getting hundreds of likes, which was just freaking me out. And, you know, I got a, a huge increase in, in my Twitter following. I got a, a, a huge increase in, in my uh, YouTube following, you know, relative to, to my platform. And um, essentially my, my subscriber list almost doubled. And, and it's, you know, it's just been a really amazing experience. It's, it's I feel I feel really grateful and I'm really happy that the UFO community on a whole, at least the ones that saw it um, and I saw their responses from it, I'm, I just feel like you know I've done them proud and that really makes me happy because um, I'm not in this for ego. I genuinely wanted to try and get really good questions out. Uh, you know, I sourced some of those questions from the community and, and formed them in my in my own way. But you know, I, I publicly asked people to contribute and and try to form uh, questions that I felt we wanted to know because. You know, there's there's going to be mainstream articles and reports and interviews with Leslie and Ralph, but we want to know key questions. And there were things that the UFO community would, you know, obviously pick up on, like the like the comments from Senator Reid and the walk back that he gave on Twitter and all that kind of stuff. Like the public doesn't really know that Senator Reid immediately tweeted out going, "Yeah, that's not what I said." And you know, so they want to know what the hell's going on here. So that you know, I'm really happy. I got the opportunity as someone who's just in the community, just someone within it, like you know, who wants to know things, and. I wasn't going to hold back. Like, you know, I, you know, I even said to him prior to going on record, I just want you to know, I respect you both highly, but, and, and, you know, I don't want to annoy you with any of my questions, but just, you know, this is professional, not personal. This is just absolutely, I have to get some questions out that people need to know about. And, uh, I feel like I did that. So yeah, I'm really happy with Andy. You did, Jay. And just before I move on to listener questions, some of the, the nicest feedback I've had, and I'm still amazed so many people listen to me already. It's it's really nice. <laughs> it's it's so odd, like you say, when you're sitting there and there's so many people waiting to listen to your 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 interview with Leslie and Ralph. Like 
But some of the nicest things people have said to me are, it's nice to hear kind of new blood in this topic and people with a, a right. new or fresh pair of eyes or a fresh approach and really keen and enthusiastic. You know, we're not peddling a load of different things and pushing our own opinion on people. And I would say that's how I kind of feel when I listen to you talking and watch some of your videos and that interview as well. It's just, that's that's why I started this podcast because people weren't asking the questions I want to ask or I want to know the answers to and I would listen to interviews and really experienced interviewers that I once at one point used to pledge to their podcasts or like sign up to Patreons or PayPals and it just got to the point I was like you're just saying the same thing all the time and you're not really you've got a narrative that you're pushing rather than just asking the questions and getting everyone's opinion and I think people like yourself are now doing that where you're asking the questions that everyone else wants to hear and it's changing the conversation and pushing it in a different direction so I, I, I absolutely appreciate that and you can tell from the the increase in subscribers and views and listens and that's only going to increase going forward as things change that you've got as well cheers Andy and no I, I agree in terms of like you know kind of fresh blood in in, in the game and, and people giving a fresh perspective I suppose yeah I, there's you know we all know there's a lot of agenda and a lot of ego and a lot of book deals and conferences and people not wanting to give information to other people because it might affect their ability to, you know, write a new book or put out a new document. Yeah, that stuff exists. But, you know, just, just like there's a superficial level to all parts of reality, really, you know, there's elements of superficiality in, in, in all aspects of, of the world in, in some way you'll find it and someone who's representative of that. And so it's not unique to the UFO community, but I think that it is good to get fresh perspectives because, you know, I, like, you know, like you said, I've, I've only just really come into this. So I haven't got, um, like an agenda or, or like anything where I'm trying to prove, I'm just trying to find things out. I've had some really, really crazy experiences that have made me go holy shit like things are not as they seem and a lot of things that I've been taught are not maybe actually accurate and I need to look further into things on my own and come up with my own ideas and, and research things outside of the the norm of what we consider the norm and um and I've arrived at certain points and I would never pretend to know everything and I would never pretend to know everything about CE5 or anything like that I can only give my opinion and my advice based on my experiences so far um, and hope that they have some form of impact. That's all I can do, and that's all I'm trying to do. You know. Listen, if the next thing that I could get, if all of a sudden, you know, I had a, a thousand Patreon pledges overnight or something like that, <laughs> you know, Joe Rogan's got some guy who sits and pulls up stuff on YouTube for him. Right. That's what I need. I need someone sitting here all the time when I you go. You need oh, a young oh. Jamie. Yeah, Jamie. That was it. Like, yeah, P- pull, pull up this, pull up this, because that's what I'm like. I don't know everything. My memory is horrendous. I write everything on post-it notes and research books, and stuff comes to me, oh, and I, I vaguely remember something. Um, so yeah, I can I can totally appreciate that. But Jay, let's get to listener questions to round off. All of right. which there was a lot. Oh God. I've narrowed it down to six or seven, but some of them, again, I always say this, were covered in the body of the, the interview anyway, which All you right, touched cool. on that. People want to know, and you, you kind of covered it too, which is great because you're thinking the way they're thinking. Um, so this was a question for us both, but I'll let you answer first, and if I've got time, I'll chip in. But in okay. your opinion, how would you convince PhD scientists, universities, and the mainstream media to take this subject more seriously with factual research and not just one-off articles every so often in the New York Times? Well, I'm okay. Well, I think, I think New York Times articles are a part of that process, right? Because you've now got Scientific America putting out an article saying that this needs to be studied properly. And you, you, you can't imagine that that hasn't been in some way um, 
a, a vindicated effort that was brought on by the recent changes um, that have been occurring in America, which includes the New York Times coverage, which has been groundbreaking. 2017, the story that broke the ATIP program changed the game. TTSA also changed the game. You know, like I, I would imagine they're probably working in collaboration quite a lot. But you know, you know, so it's all a process. And I guess kind of going back to the whole thing you were just saying about being younger in the game, I guess for me, I'm willing to wait a little longer. I can see that this is a process that does need to take a little bit more time than some people want. And I totally understand, especially for people that have been in this for decades, you do not want to be waiting around any longer. Some of some people genuinely might feel they don't have that many years and they want to see this come out before they, uh, you know, before they leave this, leave this earth. And so, it's you know it's an incredibly difficult position to be in, but I would say that articles like the New York Times are pushing forward this story. We've like I said, we've now had crash retrieval spoken about. That's huge, people. That's a big deal. That's a huge deal because you know before if if I if I went back in time to 2016 and said you know in a few years we're going to be talking about crash retrieval programs via the New York Times and the U.S. government's going to be acknowledging the reality of UAPs flying around our skies, you'd have told me to go you know do one like that's not no way. So you know you we have to respect that we're covering vast ground here. We we should know to be honest more than anyone else just how much there is to be covered here. It can't all happen at once. It just can't, and it's not going to unless we have a revolution. If we have a complete revolution and we break into all of the secure skiffs and we take all of the bricks, we take all of the information and we, and we do it that way, then, then we'll have what people want to see, that immediate disclosure of everything. We can't do that if we're still in the system that we're in. And the system that we're in is starting to now respond to a disclosure process. So, you know, we kind of have some choices. We can either help that disclosure process go forward and and use the system to our benefit as much as possible by interacting with the New York Times. It's a rare thing to have them come down to the UFO community and want to do a you know front page article or at least try and bring a front page article to the Times. So I think that when those types of things happen, we should see that as a real moment. It's a good moment. It's a vindicating moment. I, I saw a CNN report that I uploaded onto my YouTube channel just the other day. There was, you know, it started off saying maybe we shouldn't be calling uh, UFO believers crackpots and, and conspiracy theorists anymore. So, you know, you're seeing honest reporting happening. And that was that, that CNN report was quoting the NYT article all the way through. So, you know, there is momentum happening from this. It might not be the speed you want, but it's the speed we're getting and it's better than nothing. Yeah. And if I'm going to throw my two cents in there, similar to yourself, I think we've had, if you want to go back to Roswell, 70 plus years of amazing research, amazing work. Your Alan Hynek's, your Stanton Friedman's, you know, a lot yep. of people, Art Bell's, who obviously I'm a fan of and what he done. And there was a lot of great work done and it was getting, getting us so far. But maybe we got to the point where it wasn't going to really take us any further. And for me, we went and changed tactics a few years ago. Tactics, tactics, you know. Um, we changed <laughs> tactics when that New York Times article dropped. TTSA came out and went, do you know what? We've done this much. This is how we go to the next evolution, the next step. Maybe the other path would have worked eventually, but do you know what? It felt like it was stagnating for a long time, and it was the same yeah. conversations, the same cases. It was always Roswell. It was always Little Green Men, and do you know what? It, look what's happened. If you forget that amount of research and look at just in isolation the last two and a half, yeah. three years, look how much, like you say, has, has happened and came on. And it's almost like a totally different subject at times now that to the point that we're, we're disappointed that crash retrievals are only being mentioned <laughs> in New York Times articles. And it's, yeah. 
you know, Trump, uh, whatever you think of the guy, is sitting on TV discussing Roswell in the wrong context, albeit in Area yeah. 51. Yeah. You know, Roswell's not a building like he was talking about, <laughs> but that's that's just Trump. Um, no offence to any fans of the president of the USA. You know, he's, he's got what he's got. Mm, However, he still changed his own, you know, tone from months before where he's been interviewed on TV and basically said, UFOs, I don't really believe in them. To then talking about, you know, interesting things he knows and has yeah. heard. So I think the way we're going is now the right way. And I've people are sick of hearing it. I'm on the Luella Zondo train. I don't believe it's disinformation or what. I think they've got psychological reasons they they do what they do because it works and has a certain impact and it's slow and it's strip fed. But in two and a half years, is it really that slow what they've managed <coughs> to achieve? Well, I think people get stuck with they've only released three videos. One one thing, just real quick, because I know we've got other questions, but just real quick with the uh, whole, because I know people, and this is kind of going from like the Stephen Greer camp or the TTSA camp, if, you, if you're in those two camps and I'm not, I place myself within the middle and look at both sides of things and deliberate where I want to be at that point. I'm not a follower, man. So I don't follow TTSA. I don't follow CSETI or Disclosure Project, but I, I gleam information from each of them and, and then make my own opinion up. And one thing I would say is that the whole threat thing, like the whole idea that TTSA is, you know, uh, pushing this uh, big threat narrative for an alien invasion, I don't believe that. I think that um, I think that if you want to get congressional attention, and if you want to have political changes, and if you want to have the lawmakers and the decision makers and the influences of society who do not research this subject and know nothing about this subject, how do you get them interested? You speak their language, so you speak threat. You speak incursions over sensitive sites. You speak about unidentified phenomena. You know, this is the kind of keywords. And the, the if you word it in this way, you get congressional attention. You get some instead of going, oh well, there's visitors, and maybe they have a you know universal peace message to bring to us. People be like, what the hell, bro? Get out of the Department of Defense. So you know, you've got these people who are trying to speak the same language as the bureaucracy that operates the the world essentially in the Western world. Um, and so the national security threat narrative that they're pushing, I would say, is being used as a way to channel the importance of this subject into law, into decision making, getting information out. And then they'll probably address, in later terms, a more expansive idea around it. And it's working. So uh, next question. Has Project Unity been approached by any new sources or witnesses since the latest article? Um, nope. Nope, not at all. Um, I've, I speak with Leslie and Ralph, uh, and I uh, speak with uh, Richard Dolan and Grant Cameron and Michael and a few others. But um, there, there are there are a couple of people. One person in particular who I'm I'm not really able to talk about in terms of who they are, and that's not Mr. X. But the only reason I can't talk about them, and I hope I've got a little bit of, um, uh, I hope people can uh, believe me at least is what I'm trying to say here. Um, is it's, it's worth it because they're working on things that they just want to keep under wraps for a minute, but in like the coming months, maybe even like near the end of this year, they're looking to bring some stuff out and they just want to keep it really quiet right now. But there's hopefully some really cool stuff happening there. And so there's someone that I've been involved with for a while now who I'm hoping will become more relevant to the community. But apart from that, no, I haven't had any new approaches of sources or anything like that since the interviews. So we might get a Mr. Y or a Mrs. Y. Who knows? <laughs> no, when, when, when they come out, it'll be, it'll be their full name. I'm not going to talk about them in any term other than what I've just said until it's their full name that we can discuss. Awesome. Um, next question. Has the New York Times article changed how you intend to interact with any sources going forward, especially in the UFO community? 
Um, no, not, to be honest, I think the way that I interacted with them um, was how I managed to get the interview. Uh, I, I don't feel like I, I need to change. I have, you know, the thing is with me, I, I, I play things kind of fast and loose and, and I, 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 more recently than ever in the past year, I've genuinely just tried to be intuitively guided. I know that's a little bit of an eye roller for some, but I've just genuinely tried to not have a plan A, B, C, D and E and just, just try and go with what I feel I should be doing each day. And so far, you know, it's really been working out for me quite well. So I'm just, I'm not really planning ahead. I, I don't really look too far into the future. I just take each day as it comes. I got a really good uh, email from Richard Dolan today, which I'm you know, going to hopefully be speaking with him soon on his channel. So that's really cool. And like, you know, it's, it's, things are happening. So I, I, I don't really feel like I need to change my approach because um, I feel like I got good things out of it. Awesome. Um, the next question is from uh, Ryan Sprague, sent it in from Somewhere in the Skies. Again, you heard the advert for his new book earlier, so thanks, Ryan. Ryan said, a lot of blowback in the recent article uh, has come out. Do you think the New York Times will be more hesitant to publish UFO articles going forward? If so, do you think they'll still use Leslie Keane and Ralph Blumenthal as their go-tos? Yeah, I don't I don't think that they're going to um, be deterred from writing further publications whatsoever. I think, you know, I can't speak for Leslie and Ralph personally, but my opinion would be that there are more articles coming, that there's more information that wasn't in that article and the subsequent article that will make it into other publications. And some people do not like that. They want everything at once. But like we said, sometimes you can't have it all at once. It's also not always, um, you know, Ralph and Leslie's fault. If, if, if it is even their fault at all, it's the bureaucracy editorial process sometimes that gleams information out, takes it away and redacts it in, you know, so you're dealing with a structure, you're dealing with a superstructure that is very rigorously operated by people and they don't always have the last say. And sometimes they have to go cap in hand, to, you know, to these platforms to try and get these types of articles out there. So, um, you know, I, I would say that it's, I think it's pushing forward a really good, a really good message. And I think that they're fantastic articles that have a huge amount of action potential behind them. I have no doubt that the information problem within them has garnered like a ton of political interest at the same time. So, um, you know, there's, there's more, there's more to come. And I would say that they're still going to write more articles. And I, I wouldn't, I, I would be very surprised if, if it wasn't Leslie and Ralph bringing out more stuff for the, for the New York times or for maybe other places, but we've got Politico as well. We've got Brian Bender, you know, Brian Bender from Politico has been on the ball. He's been putting out a lot of different articles. So maybe we'll see something from Politico as well. And do you know what? I think it'd be really healthy though to see other people get on the bandwagon yeah. now and have some other journalists because there's not many journalists i think would ever say that articles have created buzz where people have been clamoring for a release of an article it must happen very very rarely in that profession oh yeah oh yeah so other journalists must be seeing this now and thinking okay if there is something to this do i want to get on this bandwagon now and for me it would be fresh to hear different narratives because when you read a style of writing or you read these people with the same sources and it maybe will get to a point where as great as another four or five articles would be you're hearing the same tone, the same mm. voice in your head. So let's hear a few different people reporting from different angles that potentially get different sources. But that's, yeah. you know, maybe asking for Christmas in, in August. Well, I, I just kind of see the articles as like maybe for the UFO community, less as publications of information for us to get and more as tools. Just see them as tools. See this as another thing being placed down for the public, for the political system to take in and bring things forward. It might not educate us but it's educating a lot of people and it can cause big changes. Next question. Uh, Jay, me and you, I think, could do a whole show on this, to be honest, the way the two of us can talk. <laughs> but there is a lack of UK coverage 
and that's just a fact that's not my opinion that the subject in general gets so little coverage in the uk on any mainstream news outlet in the uk for anyone in the us that have got a, a multitude of outlets we've basically got the bbc and sky that's it as big outlets and the coverage is is minimal even when the the initial videos got released or recently when the Department of Defense and the US Navy confirmed the videos and, you know, they were declassified, etc. It was on Sky News as a quick, if you check our app and there was a shot of the mm-hmm. tic-tac going across the water, yep. you can read this article. It was like a second or two seconds. That's it. That's the level of interest we have. Why is that in your opinion, Jay? I mean, it's, it's disturbing, isn't it? And the, the silence itself speaks volumes. Like that itself speaks volumes. And I, one thing that I would say, and it's actually a video that I was planning on doing soon, um, is, is disclosure is, is becoming like an American phenomena. And disclosure has kind of almost always been a, an American phenomena because if you look at the UK, we're not, we don't have a history of um, leaking information, uh, leaking declassified documents, whistleblowers talking about programs, that's quite an amount of crash retrievals. You know, Roswell's, we have a few stories. We have Rendell Sherman, a few things have come out, but it's all very tightly under wraps. And I, I feel like we have a different relationship with bringing out things to the public. And maybe the Americans, you know, this is just a, a theory, but maybe there's been like a really long process of disclosure going on in America where they've been like, you know, doing it through media. They've been doing it through whistleblowers. Even if it looks like someone might have been going out against the government and whistleblowing, maybe they were greenlit to do it. You know, like, I don't know, but I'm just saying that it's actually very evident that disclosure is a very American phenomena right now. There's everything is happening there. And it's not just the UK, like Germany, France, other countries, because a lot of people on my subscriber list have said, yeah, man, it's quiet here too. No news, nothing. So, you know, it's an, it's a European phenomenon, it seems, uh, to some extent, that there's not any coverage on this. There's coverage in Japan, there's coverage in China, there's coverage in Mexico and other places. Um, you know, so it's interesting that there's no coverage in Europe. I don't know the reason behind that. I think it needs to change. I think it's great that Jeremy Corbell got on the BBC, even if it was just radio, it might not have been TV, but it's still a great step in the right direction. And it might open up doors for other, re- other UK researchers like myself and others like yourself. Um, to, to speak to UK outlets. So um, I don't know the reason for it. It's disturbing. We need to try and sort it out. I agree. And like you say, Project Unity, that UFO podcast, and any number of other mm-hmm. publications like Shadows of Your Mind magazine, I would encourage anyone to go and follow that. Dave is based in the UK. and he I was chatting to Dave last night. Yes, you were. I think we're both uh, interviewed for the same feature that I won't ruin yes. for, for when it comes out. Um, but it was a great conversation. Dave should have thousands of interactions and followers on Twitter, uh, Shadows Magazine. Um, check out Shadows of Your Mind, just search for it. It's a free magazine, 60 pages of content. And I think every name you have mentioned, Jay, on this discussion, your Dolans, your Camerons, he's spoken to them, he's interviewed them in the past, and the magazine has yep. been re- relaunched. He makes it himself and the effort that goes into that. Oh, if anyone brilliant. in this scene's underappreciated right now, I think it's some of the work he's doing. So, And folks, I don't Agreed. get paid for saying that. I'm just, I really appreciate what he's doing. So, no, I, I can echo that as well. Check him out. Yeah, definitely. Um, and last question. Um, did you get any sense within the interview with Leslie and Ralph of the nature of the briefings they discussed? Because there's been a lot of chat around classified, declassified, using slides or slides like this. What what was the nature of the briefings they were discussing? To be on, to be honest, I have no idea. Um, you know, I can honestly say, hand on heart, that when it comes to any off record conversations I've had with Leslie and Ralph, they have not divulged extra information 
regarding what they you know couldn't include in the articles or uh, what might be in future articles. So I don't I don't have any direct knowledge as to what they might have been referring to with the briefings. Um, are, are you referring to the ones that? Uh, were done by Eric Davis. Yes, yeah. The question didn't yeah, state yeah. that, but from what I'm getting from it, yeah, yeah, um, yeah. So I get, I, I don't know. I guess I, I would imagine it could have something, you know, not to burst people's bubbles, uh, because the the wording of the quote was from Craft, not um, of Craft. It was mm-hmm. from Craft, um, and and we do have speculation, and we do have um, some evidence, apparently, of you know, meta materials, advanced meta materials, some of which are now under a corruptive research and development agreement with the US Army between TTSA. And so um, Eric Davis could have genuinely just been giving a briefing on the magnesium, bismuth, zinc, terahertz metamaterials that we've already heard about. He could have also been talking about spaceships. We don't, we don't know. I, I, I don't know. I, I can tell you at least that I haven't been given inside information that, that tells me anything else. No, that's great, Jay. Listen, we'll wrap it up there, Jay. Do you want to just let the listeners know how they can get in touch with you and how they can subscribe to your YouTube channel as well? Yeah, so on YouTube, I'm just Project Unity. Uh, the YouTube algorithm might slaughter me a bit. See, I don't know how far you'll have to scroll down to find me, but I've put out a fair few videos. So you'll find me on Project Unity. On Twitter, it's at the Project Unity. Um, on Instagram, it's official underscore project underscore unity so you can check me out on instagram twitter and youtube and if you want to contact me um to get a hold of me for for interviews or if you want to talk to me about experiences you can get hold of me at project unity contact at gmail.com so yeah they're my contact details if you want to get hold of me and i just want to say thank you andy because i've had a really good time talking to you mate no, listen, likewise, and uh, I'm sure we'll talk again soon, um, sooner rather than later. It's been really nice talking to you. There's a lot we could, a lot more we could have went into as well. Yeah, totally. But I know you've got a talk coming up right now. We're four minutes over the time, so don't worry. Um, uh, best of luck with that one as well. No, thank you very much, Jay. It's been really nice talking to you, mate. Cheers. Consider your space, consider your
Thank you.